Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal, your host. And uh, today we have a very special guest joining us from DC, Angela Greiling Keen, who is the managing editor of States at Politico. Um, you've held numerous positions at Politico, so that's very cool. And I'm sure we're gonna talk about a couple of them uh, during the course of the interview. You spent nearly a decade at Bloomberg News as not only a White House correspondent during the Obama administration, but also a reporter. So we're definitely gonna hit that. Uh, because I was too young <laughs> to pay attention to politics at that age. Um, and you were also the president of the National Press Club in 2013. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here with us. Uh, I can understand you're very busy, but I do appreciate it. It is great to be here and excited to talk about all of these things. Um, young audiences are, are an important part of what all journalists do today. So excited Definitely. to talk. Definitely. All right, so let's get into this. Uh, first question, pretty basic. Uh, talk a little bit about your background, um, you know, how you got into the journalism and media space. Uh, touch on how college and your college education, any higher education impacted your career. Um, and, and yeah, let's start there. Yeah, well, I've been a journalist for about 25 years. So reporter for the first 20 years, and then I've been an editor in the six years that I've been at Politico. So I decided when I was a little kid that I wanted to be a reporter. And, you know, why does any little kid decide something? I guess I was like 10 or 11 and I, I like to write. I like to ask questions. I was curious about things. So being a reporter seemed like the perfect job for me and I stuck with it. So when I was decided on college, I knew I wanted to study journalism. So I picked the University of Missouri, which has a great journalism program then, still does now. Um, it served me well. It was a very practical education. Got to spend a semester reporting in Washington. So I got that bug at a young age and I've worked in many jobs, but I've worked in Washington ever since. So I've done a lot of different things. I've worked at newspaper, magazine, wire service, and now digital first publication. Um, covering always something that's like Washington or Washington adjacent, but um, a lot of different things. So I covered transportation. I've covered local news for an audience somewhere else. Um, like you mentioned in the introduction at Bloomberg, I spent a few years as a White House correspondent. And then at Politico, the job that I have now is running our state's team. So we are about 50 journalists, primarily outside of Washington, but covering state capitals and then a couple federal policy areas. So it's a it's a job that's never boring, and um, you really just have to you know pick among all the exciting news that we could be covering any given day. Okay, no, that sounds very cool, and I actually want to get right into that, which is um, kind of talk about your time. Let's start in the past. Talk about your time in the Obama White House. What was that like? Um, I wish I could have you know been more cognizant then of what was going on but um i'm always you know happy to learn i i want to hear the, the the war stories or any um and then discuss your time with politico right now as managing editor of states yeah well you probably i covered near the end of the obama administration so okay. you probably were paying attention by that point even if okay. not um early uh in its first okay. term so i covered um the white house from 2014 to 2016. Okay. um so uh an interesting time uh, there were definitely some highlights i would say one of them was 
the travel in general was really interesting when you're with um, the the pool, the traveling press pool with the president, you literally go everywhere with him. And when I was at Bloomberg, we had a number of reporters covering the beat. So it wasn't like any one reporter was with the president all the time. That would be too much. But I did get to travel a lot. And so I was in the room when Obama met Raul Castro, the Cuban president, the first time that a U.S leader had met a Cuban leader since the embargo in the late 1950s. So that was a really, really cool moment of history to like literally witness in the room. Um, I was in the room when he sang Amazing Grace in South Carolina after the um, mass shooting in the church there. And it was just an incredibly moving moment to be there. You know, you knew as you were there that it was history to have um, the first black president in a situation like that, controlling the crowd by singing Amazing Grace. Um, so like you're, you are the first draft of history in things like that. And it is your job to, to write it, to express it, you know, for a way that, that your audiences can, can understand um, the import of the events. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the White House beat though, there's obviously lots of great parts. Um, it's also to beat where lots and lots of journalists are covering it. So one of the downsides is it's a little harder to like zig from the crowd. You know, you're, you're writing the news of the day, you're writing the big stories, and that's exciting. But um, I actually find some of the other beats that I've had to be more impactful because you can really write stories, you can dig in and write things that other people aren't writing and illuminate things that might not be illuminated if you weren't there to tell those stories. Yeah. And and I guess now, now at your time at um, Politico, you obviously have to deal with uh, numerous amount of issues happening in every state. And how that correlates to not every state. We're in six states, but six but still, states. yeah, yeah. And and kind of important. yeah. Talk about that experience and and some of the key takeaways you've seen in uh, uh, how do I describe like a very polarized time. Like mm-hmm. how how has that impacted your job? Yeah, it impacts it a lot. Um, one of the ways it impacts is like ugliness on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that we every year it's more polarized. And one of the ways that manifests is by people, you know, not believing facts and people right. lashing out on social media, attacking journalists. You know, journalists are easy to find on social media. And so, you know, we editors occasionally, more so reporters because they're the ones with the bylines become targets and that can be very unpleasant. It's definitely one of the ways that um, that the current polarization shows itself um, in the, the lived experiences of, of journalists. Um, but I think one of the guiding principles to what we do is it's more important than ever to have fact-based information. Um, Politico is a nonpartisan news outlet and proudly so. We don't take sides. We're not pro one party or another. We we do tough reporting on any politician regardless of their political party. And I think that that's needed now more than ever when increasingly much of the media is taking one side or another um, and people are choosing to get that sort of information. Yeah. And, and I guess what are your, your thoughts on just beyond the sphere of just reporting? And I guess now we're dealing with uh, free speech and uh, mm-hmm. First Amendment rights, right? Um, what are your thoughts on, on political polarization in the United States as a whole? Um, you know, there have been many key moments in history where we don't really know what the next chapter is going to look like. Um, and I've been told that this is one of those moments. We are in one of those years and decades where we don't know what the next phase is. 
um, and, and you having the responsibility of kind of disseminating information, what are your thoughts on, on this age that we live in? Yeah, it definitely feels like one of those moments. And, you know, you're a Gen Zer and it's your first time with one of those moments, but I'm a Gen Xer and there's an entire generation in between of millennials. And it's still the first one of those moments for millennials or Gen Xers. You know, we don't remember, I, I was born after Watergate. Okay. I, I, I didn't live through the civil rights movement in the 60s. Like th those were moments also, but they predate like the vast majority of the population that's alive today. Um, so, so it is a really interesting time. And I think an important time to, to be a journalist. Um, I think that the, the challenge, one of the challenges, there's many that we face is reaching audiences that need information. There's obviously lots of people come to Politico for their news. They come to lots of other news outlets and that's great, but you know, how do we keep reaching harder to reach audiences, people who may not have as much access to information? Um, news is, I think, increasingly less accessible to people who don't choose to find it. Um, there's, you know, many, many people consume lots of news. Most of us live with news alerts and, you know, constant information. And there's lots of people that live like that, but there's lots and lots of other people that like willfully choose to not follow the news, to not know what's going on. And that sort of choice to not know, I think can be dangerous and increases polarization. So one of the challenges that newsrooms, not only ours, but including ours face is how do we find those audiences? How do we break through to people who should know what's going on? Yeah. And I guess more recently, yesterday, I was, I was browsing Twitter and uh, Twitter just got bought, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I was funny because I was trending on Twitter while I was watching. I was like, oh, this is interesting. What I mean, am, what are your reactions to things like that where, you know, obviously even Politico has a huge um, you know, following on, on a social media website like Twitter, many other news agencies do. I personally go there for my information on day-to-day -day politics in different states and politicians and following them. So what do you, what do people think when, well, Twitter is privatized as, you know, as social media? Right. right. One of, well, our first thought is what stories do we write? Yeah, we have a <laughs> list of like, we, we wrote a bunch of stories yesterday. We wrote a bunch more stories today. We're going to write a bunch more stories tomorrow. There's so many political implications to the Elon Musk buying Twitter story. Right. You know, one of the questions, uh, like if you look at Google search trends today, one of the questions that everyone's asking is Trump going to get back on Twitter? We don't know, right. but you know, we want to write about that. What are the implications if he does, if he doesn't? In the meantime, he started a rival social media network. Like, what does this mean for that? That's that's right. a question. Right. Um and then one of the stories for Politico with Musk on Twitter is Twitter a couple of years ago decided to stop selling political ads to have that, those on their platform. Mm -hmm. So will Musk allow political ads again? If so, that's very interesting. And you know, what sorts of consultants want their political clients to be advertising on Twitter? Like all of those storylines are really big for us in terms of how we use Twitter to expand our audience and disseminate our news. I don't think anything changes in the short term on that, but uh, if there's you know less content moderation, that kind of thing, if Twitter becomes an uglier place, then, then we certainly rethink. You may have seen the news just in the last 
week or two about the New York Times encouraging their their journalists to dial it back on Twitter. Um, in the past, they had encouraged their reporters to have a, a robust presence on Twitter. And now they're not saying that they can't or shouldn't, but they're saying, hey, let's not make Twitter quite the priority that it used to be, maybe spend a little more time doing other things. So I think that maybe the tip of an iceberg of that sort of trend that may have happened regardless of Twitter becoming a privately held company. Yeah. No, definitely. You know, I was starting to get a following on Twitter. I'm at, I'm almost at 200 followers. So it's very personal to me. <laughs> no, I, it's just something to think about. I never thought that you could privatize a social media. I mean, well, obviously other social media companies are privatized, but I never thought it, it would hit Twitter where I go for my daily dose of political information and read articles. And, um, it's going to be interesting to see how, how free speech is, is moderated now. Uh, but that's just a complete side note. Um, to get a little bit back on track, I want to ask, how do two agencies, and you kind of touched on this before, but how do news agencies like Politico um, try to report accurate, unbiased, like you said, nonpartisan information? Um, and, and, and is it is it like, I, I'm sure Politico does opinion editors and uh, and many op-eds and- um, we, We'd only do a little bit yeah. of op-eds. We have Politico Magazine, which is right. a digital only product that's part of our website, but they right. have, uh, they, they do run a small amount of op-eds. Right. And then we have a couple columnists who do get to write their opinion, but everybody else of the, you know, 500-ish journalists at Politico, the rest of us do not get to have uh, any sort of political opinions in what we, in our work. Right. And so, again, I guess the question remains, how do you, in a world where it's really hard to filter what is facts and, and what is, uh, quote, fake news, like, how does how does a, news, a large news agency like Politico juggle that, that, that thought? Yeah. Uh, for one thing, we are very careful in our hiring. So we, we want journalists who want to be non-biased, impartial journalists. We, right. we don't hire people who are looking to push the news one way or another, or to have a personal opinion in their work. There, there's plenty of places that, that people can work if that is what they want to do in journalism, but Politico is not that place. Um, so we start out by that. And we, we definitely look at people's social media and so forth when we're hiring someone. We want to make sure that they're not out there you know, tweeting so-and-so politician is great or is terrible or like anything that, that um, would smack of an opinion. We, we don't want that. Um, in, in their online presence. So we start with, with who we hire, and then we have a rigorous editing process. So um, you know, any story that is sensitive or a bigger investigative piece goes through many layers of editing. And among the things that we look at are you know, any hints of bias. Are we using the right word choices? Are we being accurate and careful in our word choices? Um, yeah, we there there are things that are facts. The election was not stolen in 2020. Yeah, that that's a fact. Yeah. Biden won. Um, the the electoral college. I hope that's a fact. Uh, yeah. So you know, we we don't we we don't take both sides of something when one side is not true. Um, but but we certainly 
you know, believe that there's multiple sides to a normal political argument, something that's not, that, that's an, you know, abortion. There's, there's I lots of different, if, absolutely. Um, you know, COVID vaccination requirements, th things that are very controversial, um, but there's not like a right and a wrong um, in terms of a fact-based thing, like things that are opinion, we do want to present something that is balanced, not, not necessarily balanced, like, half and half, but we, we always want to include a paragraph in a story that we call a to be sure paragraph. You know, what does the other side say? What what might be the opposite view to the, the people that we're writing about? We always want to make sure that we're challenging our own assumptions too. You know, journalists live in the world that they live in and anybody is influenced by their own lived experience. So we want to make sure that we're including a diversity of voices in the types of people that we quote, um, that we are challenging ourselves. If we assume something, we want to yeah, make sure that we're not part of the group think and, um, and get outside our own bubble as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly true. I, I, I want to follow that up and ask the, I think the real issue, like, the, the average American deals with, especially when they're watching news, is nowadays is dubbed like misinformation um, and struggling to find, like I struggle to find sources that are reliable. And, you know, I take my personal time to like fact check and go multiple websites, not just focusing on just one. And of course I'm also on Twitter, but let's see how that changes. Like I'm, I'm always trying to find a variety of diverse information so that I can form my opinion. The question is, how does Politico deal with these raging thoughts of misinformation and kind of a public distrust of not only media, but also government? Right. Um, I mean, on, like back when I was covering the Obama White House, to go back to that time period um, in 2014 to 2016, one of the things I noticed was like, I had all these new followers on Twitter and they were like tweeting all these political things. And I was like, who are these people? Like, why do they have so much time to, you know, sit there and tweet these political things? And it didn't take too long. Well, I mean, a couple of years to realize that a lot of those quote unquote people were actually Russian bots, right. you know, sowing disinformation, sowing like seeds of discord in the United States. Um, so I, like many people took a minute to wake up to that. Um, but in terms of, of now, we, you know, with sources that we use, we always, you know, want to be careful with, with who we trust. At Politico, we tend to quote people who are either in power or seeking power. Um, it might be an elected official. It might be a staff person. It might be, you know, the next AOC who's running for office and challenging the, the longtime incumbent. Um, but we, with, with quoting those sorts of sources, that's just what we do at Politico. It, you know, insulates a little bit from like finding an expert who's not actually an expert. Um, just, just the sort of journalism we do, um, there's a little bit less of that worry of being duped by somebody who isn't who they say they are. That being said, you know, we work hard at, at verification of all sorts of information. If we get a tip, we, you know, aren't going to be quick to publish some sort of salacious tip without serious reporting to check it out, to make sure that the image we've been sent is verifiable, to make sure that the document that we have is actually real. Those are the sorts of things that we do spend a lot of time verifying and reporting and not just trusting the first thing that, that comes along. Yeah, no, I think that whole logistical process, I mean, I have no insight to that. So thank you. You know, it's not that I question 
Politico or any other news agency. It's just that I, at this point, it's really hard to make a very objective assessment of information. Um, right. It's not just something I struggle. Everybody these days is having a hard time. It's different. Huh? And journalists by nature are skeptical people. Right. You know, people that go into the field are people that ask questions and don't just necessarily trust what what you're told. Um, so that sort of personality makes you ask questions and you know get to the bottom of things rather than just like believe the first thing you're told. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I trust that um, not only my mentors but like folks that are in my inner circles provide reliable information, um, and I trust that Politico reports reliable information because we read it and we discuss it. Um, and so I guess in some ways, thank you for the work you do. Um, and and I, I hope to see you continue it. Now, I always like to end the show. The show uh, and the podcast is about voting rights and, and civic engagement and kind of finding this way to incentivize and in some ways encourage folks to get out there and vote. And a lot of the times it impacts many of the things that you at Politico report. Um, and so I want to ask, you know, what is your advice to, to Gen Z? Um, I don't know where they coined that term, but I just go with it, um, you know, to make an impact not only where we are, um, but how we read our news um, and, and how we trust the information that's given to us. Yeah, I would say, you know, be informed, like choose to seek information. I talked a little bit earlier about people who choose to not seek information. Don't be those people. Um, there's no necessarily right or wrong way as to how you get information. Uh, you know, push alerts on your phone and Twitter and you can get your news from TikTok. The Washington Post has a very, very good TikTok feed. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but but choose to find information, to seek out, to ask questions. If you see something on Twitter that seems like too good to be true or nobody's else reporting it, like question that. Uh, you know, if, if there's a huge news event and only one Twitter account or something is reporting it, like maybe that's not true. Uh, you know, be, be be the skeptical news consumer as well. Um, but but be a news consumer, you know, spend time. And I would say like vary your media diet. Uh, there's plenty of people that just watch one TV network or go to one social media site or curate their their tweet deck in a way that only amplifies their the views that they already hold. Like don't don't live in an echo chamber. Read op-eds that are contrary to what you believe. See what the other side believes and why they believe it. It may help strengthen your beliefs, um, but it also yeah. will like I, help you understand other people. Right. And in some cases, I, I watch the other side just for just for some comedy in my life, mm -hmm. because it's honestly a satire at this point. Uh, but yes, no. But understand them, you know, but the, the best, the best people in politics and the best people in journalism, like really try to understand both sides of an issue, even if, you know, tr try to understand Trump and where he's coming from, that he believes the election is stolen. And why do so many people believe that he believes the election was stolen? That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, it definitely is very interesting. <laughs> um no, uh, but no, thank you so much for the advice. Uh, I want to ask, this is a time where you get to advertise a little bit yourself. Shout out your uh, Twitter handle, I mean, if you'd like, uh, yes. where, where folks can follow you. And of course, Politico, I can put that in the description as well. Yes, please. I'm at A Greiling Keen. Cool. So A-G-R-E-I-L-I-N-G-K-E-A-N-E -E with a, a unique last name. I get to have that handle um, with... <laughs> <laughs> with my name. Um, I tweet about the work that we do at Politico. I tweet occasionally about press freedom, occasionally about sports. Um, 
<laughs> but a uh, great place to find me. And then of course, um, politico.com is our free site. Um, we love to have readers of all stripes. Um, we, we put up great stories every day. We put up more long reads on, um, on the weekend. So come, come on the weekend for the great magazine stories and the investigative pieces, and then sign up for our newsletters. We have a number of free newsletters under the Playbook brand. So we have uh, National Playbook, and then we have playbooks in six states that are on my team. So if you're in California, Massachusetts, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, or Florida, and you want to follow the politics of that state, sign up for that state playbook. They're, they're free newsletters, and they're lively, and um, you know, we put a lot of effort in them every day and love our engaged readers. Yeah, absolutely, especially... Uh, in California, <laughs> which is yes. Uh, no, and is there anything you'd like to add? I think you've done a great job covering the bases. Um, yeah, I certainly hope that uh, that the the newest voters are engaged. It's it's your right and privilege as an American to get to vote. And you know, as a journalist, I'm never going to tell you who I voted for, but but I do vote. I think that's important for for everybody to do. And you know, there, there's so many elections. Also, there's obviously the presidential election every four years, which gets the most amount of voters in the United States. But then there's the midterm elections in the off years, and then there's always local elections. So you know, take a chance to vote for your city council person, your school board member. Those are the kind of things that really matter, and where you know, individual votes actually make a difference. Yes, and uh, I can personally attest to that. I've been in elections where 100 votes is the deciding factor. So uh, yes, definitely be engaged. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, I do really appreciate uh, the insight and the unique perspective. Um, of course, it was a pleasure. Feel free to come back anytime if you wanna talk about California politics. Uh, always doing something fun there. Uh, but no, thank you so much. Yes, well, thanks for hosting me. A great conversation and um, Hope that the, uh, the listeners enjoy it. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you, and uh, take care. Yes, you too.